First John chapter 5 and verse 4. Now, we won't linger on this verse very long. I just wanted to use this as a reference. Maybe I'm directing this more towards the young crowd anyway tonight or the youngsters. If I am, that's okay, but I'm sure those of us that have heard this before and have made decisions a long time ago about this subject matter tonight love to be refreshed in it and love to have its, its ways to come back into our thinking and so we can reflect on it and make sure we're oriented in the right direction spiritually. Subject is the faith of the overcomer. Now, that's not a new idea, a new subject. As I've said, if we've been doing our job right, we've, we've covered this subject many times because you'll never come to a time in the Christian life You'll never escape your need in this life for faith, never, because you're going to be confronted with an adversary all the days of your life. The Bible tells us that. You must deal with something out there that is real, even though you can't see it, something that really does disrupt and destroy and mess up and detour, uh, deter and all that. It's something that really is the devil. And the devil's domain is this world. This is what he uses to capture his subjects. This is where he makes his empty promises. This is where, this is where he pays you off in counterfeit money. Now, our advantage over him is that God has saved us. And not only has he saved us, but he has put into us a connection with God. We call that his spirit making us one with him, offering to us as his people the information that he has that if you will make application of it in your life, the devil will have to honor it. He will, he will have to obey what you've said. When the Bible said resist the devil and he will flee from you, he must. But you will have to resist. I would almost say tragically say that Multitudes of people that I have known, associated with, and had some kind of contact with for years, at some point through those years, has uh, seemingly left off contact with God in their struggles. It was too long, too hard, too hot, too slow. It was too something. Everybody has an excuse. And everybody can justify their quitting or relaxing or backing off with some kind of an excuse. And they take, I think they take comfort in that, even though God says, we have no excuse for not overcoming. Listen to our verse. Common, surely you all know this one by heart. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And specifically, the victory that overcomes the world is even our faith. If we do not overcome then we have not done what we should. We are not being where we should be. We're not arriving at where we should be arriving. We're not experiencing what we should be experiencing. We should be overcoming, overcoming anything that keeps you from being or doing what God wants you to do or be. And when we don't want to do that or when we're not being that, we're being overcome. We're being talked out of it. So we're in this world equipped, facing an adversary that defeats most people. They would not accept the fact that they're being defeated, but they will have to admit they're, they're not overcoming. They've, they've ordered their lives and surrounded their lives with all these options and all these ways that they can get out. They've been trained in religious circles not to have to fight the good fight, and they have been trained to just do your best and that's about all you can do and after all that's all God wants anyway and so people are not overcoming and the reason people aren't overcoming is that people don't have faith they talk about faith they sing about faith they quote verses on faith but they don't have it and what they call faith is not what the Bible calls faith so we want to make sure in our time in this church as long as we're here all of us me you, all of us. We want to make sure 
And while we're here, we do grasp that principle of faith. Faith is nothing more than you counting on God to do what he said. God said that is sufficient in the battles of your life to bring onto the scene his presence and the devil will have to flee. Just count on God to do what he said. You can't do more than that. That's all you can do because that's all God gives you to do. Just trust the Lord. Trust the Lord with all your heart and what? Don't lean to your own understanding, which is what people do. So we want to make sure. We want to make sure that as Christians that we are overcoming, that we're staying the course. We're not looking for an easier way. We're not looking for a way out. We come to the Lord and said, here's my cup, Lord, fill it up. Feed me till I want no more. And if it's things that deal with my life and are very difficult, then I want that too. You know, I, I want you to do with me whatever I need have to have done with me. So let me give you five things tonight that has to do with the faith of the overcomer. And the first one is very, very simple. It's in our verse here. The victory, that's what the word overcome means, the victory that will and does overcome the world is your faith, the faith that you have here tonight, your faith. Now, oh, how many times has the devil talked people out and said, well, you don't have much faith. You haven't been a Christian long enough to have a lot of faith. I mean, you're still green in the Lord. And you're going to have to at least be in church for three or four years and take a lot of notes before you can have that kind of faith. No, the Bible speaks to babies in the Lord, to grown-ups in the Lord. The victory, God says, that overcomes this world is your faith, not somebody else's faith, your faith. It's your battle in this world. It's your faith. Well, I don't think I have much faith, somebody says. Seems like I struggle with a lot of things that I don't do well in a lot of ways. Well, welcome to the club. Nobody knows us like God does. Nobody sees us fight the battles in private like God sees us fight our battles. Nobody knows what we're saying in the heat of the battle like God does. God knows everything about us. And one of the wonderful things that God says about you, if I might encourage you with this, concerning your faith, which you think well, it's not very big, is, is it as big as a grain of mustard seed? Now, amongst all the seeds of the earth, it's the one of the smallest. I, you know, I'm saying that as though I know that, but I'm assuming that. I mean, Jesus used something that is about as small as he can use in reference to seeds that grow to show how much faith it takes to move a mountain or to cause a tree to be plucked or to, or to work a miracle. It doesn't take all kinds of deep faith. Listen to this. There hath no temptation taken you. Remember this, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now, common to man means in the realm of man. Nothing outside of the supernatural. I mean, everything's going to be ordinary with life. And he said, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what? Beyond that which you are able to deal with. So that means if I'm a new baby in the Lord and my faith is, is a chip off of a mustard seed, that little piece that I've got is sufficient for me to win my battles. It might not work for somebody else, but I'm not somebody else. I can't go with your faith. i got to go with my own because the victory that overcomes my trials is my faith. And the faith he said that you'll have to have is the faith you've already got. Did not God give you faith when he saved you? Well, for by grace through what? Are you saved? About the best you can do with faith is just wish or hope. Or spell it or use it in a song. But the only kind of faith that God honors is the faith he gives you. You can't get it somewhere. He gives it initially. And what he gives it to you to do with in the beginning is to be saved. 
just enough faith to realize that you're a sinner, that Jesus is a Savior, and that he is willing. In all your weaknesses and flaws, he is willing to forgive you all your sins. And you know what? God gave you the ability, brand spanking new, to believe that. That's a big deal to believe. So you know you've got faith. If you're a Christian, you know you've got faith. You may not be using it. You may wonder sometimes why it's not working. But you've got it, and it is able. What you've got, the little bit you have, is enough for you to overcome the world because the devil is limited by what he can do to you on the basis of what's, what you can handle. And God knows what you can handle. We give up far sooner than we should. People back off and quit way before the battle is as bad as it could have been. They give up. Not going to fight. Then how are you going to overcome? Revelation 2 and 3, the books about the seven churches. Every church was told that they must overcome. He didn't say if you don't try hard to do it. He didn't say if you try hard. He said you must overcome. He didn't say you got to have good, strong intentions. You really got to, boy, just, he said you've got to overcome. That's not trying, that's doing. You'll have to give it your effort, you know that. We pat ourselves on the back because we try hard. Or somebody we know, boy, they try so hard, they're such good people, they're so nice. That's good, that's kind. Christians ought to be good and Christians ought to be nice. But you overcome because you make application of your faith in God in the trials of life. And all you can do from that point on having done all, is stand and trust in the Lord who alone can bring victory. And sometimes he does wait. And in your patience, you do really possess your souls. Now that sounds a little narrow. Well, it's probably more narrow than that. I'm being nice. But you think of how little your faith has to be. How about Peter? Y'all remember St. Peter, Apostle Peter? Well, how much faith did he have? You know, Jesus said to him in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, Simon, Simon, behold, the devil has desired thee. He's your adversary. He has requested you. He wants to take his shot at you because he believes he can talk you out of your faith, make you give up and quit. Isn't the devil able to do all that? I mean, when you think of the kingdom of darkness. And he wanted to do everything he could to keep Peter, the spokesman, so forth. The keys of the kingdom had been given to him. The devil figured, if I can get him now, I'll not only break him down, but all of those who are watching him will get fearful because they'll think, if Peter couldn't handle it, then we can't either. And Jesus said to Peter, he said, Simon, the devil, the devil has desired you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants you to have a hard time and a bad day so people watching you get a little scared. Boy, I don't hope that never happens to me. Ooh, they're not doing good. And they hear you crying, whining, and, wondering, and they hear that. Not much of a sign of overcoming in all of that, but it happens. But Jesus said to Peter, said, Peter, I prayed for you. For one thing, I prayed that your faith won't fail. Peter said, I don't think I have much faith. I don't think I have much that I'd even want to talk about. I'm so embarrassed of how little faith I have and how many times I've dropped the ball and you've had to rebuke me. I don't know if I have any faith. Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And believing that what he prayed would happen, he said, and when you are strengthened, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. This is going to work. It really is going to work. So you see, the faith you have tonight sitting in here, you might be messing around, fooling around, lazy, not taking to heart a lot of things that God said. You still have faith. You may not have it where it could have been, but you still have faith. And you're going to have to have it when the storms of life begin to blow and, and here comes the devil. Because you're going to have to have it. Did Peter recover? Did he make it? Then whatever he had in the darkness of his failure, look at all the things, look at all the ways he failed, and yet he recovered. 
Well, can't you? You know, they talk of Elijah being a man of like passions as we are. He wasn't no different than us. Well, Peter wasn't any different from us either. He didn't understand half of what he heard. He messed up a lot. But God used him, and he'll use us. But the thing that we've got to concentrate on and realize is that, that the faith that God gave us, we have to take God at his word. If God says, I can overcome, I can overcome. If God said, I can do all things through Christ, I can do all things through Christ. If God said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, and sometimes I feel I, I'm not doing good at all, and it's, you know, going what I'm going through or doing what I'm doing or relating to who I'm re- And yet God said, if you'll just do it my way, you'll make it. So the faith that you have is sufficient to get you through all your crises and make you an overcomer. You have to learn to quit trusting in people or things. You have to quit trusting in whether it's your your gun, your dog, or food, or whatever it is, and make God your source. He is the reason that I will make it. He is the reason that I'm going to overcome because what he gave me that inspires me is what I'm using in my battles of life to overcome. My children will be saved. My wife, husband will be recovered, be healed, whatever it is. You think of all this verses on sickness in the Bible. You think of all the promises that God has made about sickness. Deuteronomy 7.15, he will remove all sickness from the midst of you. If he never said another word in the Bible about it, that's good enough for me. Remove all of it. Now, if he said that, is that a basis for faith? Can I then say this? I can believe that God will remove all sickness from me. I can believe that. Because he gave it to me to believe. Then should I not believe that? Well, boy, it seems like the diseases you have to deal with, some of them are pretty bad. They might be. Your faith is bigger than that. That little bit of faith you have, that little, that little mustard seed, listen to me, that little mustard seed you have in your heart, God watches over his word, which is where that came from. And whenever you release it, he honors it in your life to whatever capacity you have it. So the victory that overcomes the world is even your own faith. Now, secondly, with regard to that, the overcomer's faith is the result of careful listening. You know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. That's easy to say, but a lot of people hear the word, and all they get is the ability to quote the Bible. They never trust it. If you don't trust in what the Bible says, you'll never overcome. But careful listening... Or we use the words we use a while back here, hearken. To hearken means you pay close attention. You can't just fold your arms and say, I've heard all that. Yeah, I know, I know what that means. I know, yeah, I know. No, you don't. Or if you do know it, that's not the attitude you should have. You should smile and say, praise God, I remember that. But to listen carefully, think of it. What was our primary reason for coming here tonight? I don't want all of you to answer. Why do we attend church? A lot of people don't. I don't need that. Okay, why do you need it then? Why are you here? Do you need it? Well, now, if you say, well, yeah, I need this, then what is it about this that you need? I mean, do you have anything else you could do? Of course. Then why are you here? See, hopefully your motivation is to hear the word. And not just, well, it's Wednesday night, we should be in, in a meeting. Because you could go to church because you're a member and you want to be one of those that assemble together. That's good. But deeper than that is, I need to hear what the Bible said. Well, then, if that is a reason for being here, then take advantage of the moment. Redeem the time carefully. Listen carefully. It's like I was talking about the seed while ago. Think about it. Get this picture in your mind. The little bit of faith that I have in my confessed weaknesses and struggles, yet God will honor the little bit I have if I'll use what I got? Yeah. I mean, he'll absolutely do that. 
Ministry can merely bring you the truth of God's word in verbal form. Any ministry, whatever, whoever God has called, whoever they are, wherever they are, to go forth. Or parents with their children, talking to them about Christ and spiritual matters. About all that any of us can do is declare the truth. But at no time can we make you believe it. Nor can you make your children believe it. Nor can you make anybody else believe it. God gives the power to believe. You can't make anybody believe. Sometimes more than other times you deal with the subject passionately or more emotionally because you're aware that the time that you're in, this is a very important message. And so you tend to labor in it and go through all of this and you hope that people will get a hold of that same spirit and realize that, that God's letting us have something that we're going to need. He's showing it to us. Look how many people weren't interested, aren't interested in the world tonight. You talk about disinterest. How many of the great sporting events in America are on Sunday? Sunday morning. They begin noon. They go through the evening all day long, Sunday. So we say, well, what, what about church? And somebody says, church, church. They still have that. Doesn't mean anything anymore. More and more, the Bible, as I've already said in times past, more and more the world is coming into darkness. Because men love darkness, as Jesus said, more than they love light. Because once you see the light, you're now confronted with a mandate from the Lord. This is the way walking in it. Now, you walk back now, there may be no more. Or God is long-suffering. He could drag you in until you get it. But when God begins to show you things, you take advantage of it. If you taste and see that the Lord is good, you begin to listen carefully, and you begin to practice the Word of God, and God confirms it to you, and all the things that go with that, then you want more of it. Then you find yourself taking time before church to say, Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name to open my eyes tonight to see things more clearly than I have seen them. And may your word be a blessing and edify my heart. Then you listen. But if you don't listen carefully, folks, if you don't pay attention, uh, you don't get much. And it's very difficult. I can say this after all these years. I can say it now. It's very difficult. And I'm, and I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about ministers and churches, okay? But if it's true here, it's true here too. But it's very hard to teach people who are not interested in being taught. Your word content may be good. Your preparation may be good. But the people don't want to hear. Remember Hebrews 5? They become dull of hearing. Paul said at the time, and I would like to share with you some deeper things about Melchizedek. I can't because you're dull of hearing. You're so used to hearing the same old, same old what you think that you got to the place where you're tuning it out and you're not hearing it, and your mind gets distracted during the service. You're thinking about what you did today, what you're going to do tomorrow, and what's being taught. The words of life don't find a place in your heart because you're not listening. You've got to listen carefully. I mean, you have to pay attention because this is what God has for you. You might plan. You've got to plan to hear you got to make a plan, Lord, I am going tonight, I'm going to listen, and you have to want it. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, so that I can walk in your truth and please you. I added that part. That brings us to a third thing tonight, three of the five. A third reason, now that you hear the word, now that you've listened to what the Bible said and you've been listening to the word, now you've got to make up your mind to deal with it. You all know this tonight, that just because we hear the word doesn't mean we believe it. Amen? Just because you're in constant attendance in a church service doesn't mean you have believed what the Lord said during those services. Again, you might have been distracted. 
You might, your child might be making a lot of noise and it's hard for people to hear what's going on and, or somebody is whatever, texting. Uh, excuse me, or something like that. And it becomes dis- distracting. The devil uses people. And so they didn't get much out of it. But listen, once you begin to hear the word of God, now you got to deal with it. Now, I heard what he said tonight about, about healing, and I took some notes down here, and I see that. Now, the question is, now, do I really believe that? Can I believe that? Is that really certified Bible-believing material right there? Is that the real deal? You've got to make up your mind. Your mind's a battleground. The invasion of the devil in your life and your children's life and all of our lives is our minds. If the devil can capture your mind, he can capture you. If he can plant his thoughts in your mind, he can control you. He can make you pout, fly off the handle, sass, slam doors, and feel feel like a victim. All he has to do is get in your head and make you think like that. Make you uncontrollable and difficult and hard-headed. In a Christian church, my goodness, in a Christian context, and nobody can get along with you? That's not Christianity. Why do people act like that? Because they think like that. They've been allowed to think like that. When they were little children, they could sass their parents and slam doors and jerk away from... Boy, I've seen that in public more than I should. Mother grabbed one, come here at the grocery store. Come here. Look up like that. I thought, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And she said, stop it. And he's saying to her, I don't have to stop it. When he gets in high school, ask the teachers that try to teach him. Or maybe her. Ask them how hard it is to teach that child. They're not in school to be taught. They're there to mix and mingle with their friends and have a good time. They don't study. They don't care about education. How many kids today graduate from high school and can't even read, cannot even read an application for a job? I've heard that's true, and I partly believe that. Can't read or write. They got a diploma. I went to school with a guy in college who got his diploma, and I, I don't know this day. Now, he's, he's dead now, but I don't know if he ever did learn how to read and write. I know he could write because I've seen him write stuff. And I'm sure he could read because he had to read to be able to do some things. But I'm just saying that none of us went to college in order to learn anything. I didn't want to be a school teacher. That was the easy route through college. I did it because everybody else, all me and the basketball and the football players, we all wanted to be teachers. Shop teachers. Because <laughs> down here, anybody could get shop class done. Everybody had all the tests they gave anyway, and you could borrow them and take the tests. Yeah, real education. So I hear people say, well, they got a college education. I think, you know, that doesn't mean it's like it should. I ask questions to Bonnie all the time about things and, you know, maybe a crossword puzzle. I said, hey, you've been to college. You know. Of course, she said, well, so have you. But anyway, your mind is where the seeds of fear are sown. While you're in the Christian assembly, you learn how to be afraid. You see things happen to other people, you're afraid. You begin to worry. Worry brings stress. Stress makes questions where God puts periods. Will he? Has he? Can he? Should he? Why? And you begin to think like that because your mind is a battleground. Remember 2 Corinthians 11 and, and verse 3. Paul was writing, he said, So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You remember that? So that your minds should be corrupted. How can you have faith in God if in your mind you're talking yourself out of it? Or you're being talked out of it? Or that casual phrase today. I mean, come on. Just that. Just when you're struggling with dealing with God and, and boy, you see ahead of you, I'm, oh man, I'm, oh God. And then the devil pops up and says, you'll never be perfect. You're not a bad person. Come on, man. Come on, girl. 
And you begin to think back. You think back like that. You know, well, maybe I'm not. That's what Eve did. Oh, we're not supposed to eat of that tree or touch that tree. You know, well, maybe it's not bad. And then she did. That's how we all get snared when we get snared. We give place with our minds to the devil. It's as though in some cases, people that sit in a in the right environment for 30 years fall prey to the devil 30 years later. You think, how can you not be an overcomer after 30 years? After 20 years? After 10 years? How could you not be strong in the Lord and the power of his might? They hear these little voices. Well, you know, the healing message. Yeah, well, well, what about all those that didn't get healed? What about those we had to bury? They didn't get healed. What about that? I I don't know. I, I don't know about that. How about all these people that claimed all that stuff? And the guy down in western Kentucky where I used to go worked in a coal mine, got saved, confessing Christ. He wasn't afraid to, you know, God, angels and so forth, take care of him. And about a month later, a big slab. I don't know if they found him or not. Everybody said, yeah, well, what? What about that? Yeah, I don't know about all that stuff. What about that? Okay, what about the ones that did work for? What about the rest of us? Does this count? That we've been healed and turned around and our lives are now what they should be, say physically or materially? Does that count? Or are you going to just look at all the failures that you can find and say, well, what about that? Well, what about the other side? What about their good results? Do they count? Or do you think everybody that failed was doing everything right in the eyes of God and God just said, no, I ain't going to honor that faith. I ain't going to honor that. You're going to make God a liar and said he would and now he won't? You're going to charge God with evil? Not me. I'm going to say let God be true. Never man a liar. If God said it, And what he said to me is all I can go by. If he said it to me, that's what I'm believing. Now, why all them others? I'm not their judge. They're they're the great judge of all the earth will clear all this up for us in eternity. But for right now, you're commissioned and called to overcome, not use somebody's failure as an excuse. We're not to use other people's failures as excuses for why we are drawing back. Because you cannot draw back to a a safer position. Not in Hebrews 10. You draw back to destruction. I'm telling you, folks, we're going uphill without breaks. This is a Christian life. This is the way we're supposed to live. How about the trials that we have to face in this life? All these little trials we go through. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5. Why would God bless any of you? Why would he heal you? That's what the devil says. Well, why would he do that? Why indeed? You know why I think he would? Because you believe. You know what I think you believe? If when he does that, you believe what he said. You know why I think you're able to believe what he said? Because he allowed you to. He opened your eyes to behold that. First Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul said, When I could no longer forbear, I sent, I sent some men to you that I need to find out about, about your church programs and getting everybody in some kind of a program. You know what he said? I sent to find out about your what? Faith. Lest the tempter, the one who talks to you, The one who tells you just the opposite of what God said, that whatever God wants to do, the devil starts doing something the opposite. The tempter to draw you away. What does he do? He tries to draw you away. And if he can draw you away, what does Paul say? Lest the tempter tempted you and our labor be in vain. Paul said, I need to know how you're doing over there in Thessalonica. Oh, we're having meetings. We're getting along. Well, yeah, I know that. But I've heard that... uh, I've heard that people are struggling and backing away a little bit. Well, you know, people are going through this and they kind of, well, no, wait a minute. If the tempter is successful in drawing you back, drawing you away, then all of our labor is for nothing. 
Nothing you've heard is going to benefit you any if you draw away from it. Man, that's pretty strong. Isn't that pretty strong? You see, if the tempter is able to take what you've heard and somehow make it in a way that you're not ready for it or that's too hard or too much or maybe not exactly right, and you set it aside, he'll give you something else to do which seems right. But it'll lead you astray. It'll lead you, bless God, it'll lead you astray, and you'll go backwards instead of forward. And it means that everything that teacher, that preacher taught you, all those years, 30 years of teaching, amounted to nothing. What, what a terrible, terrible thing that would be. I, I think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, all he could endure was a crisis after a crisis after a crisis. He had the, as we would call it, the pure word of God. I mean, a word that came directly from God into his heart. He had a scribe that wrote down, as Jeremiah would talk, the scribe would write it down word for word, what God said. Not how Jeremiah interpreted what God said, but Jeremiah said, say this, and he write this down, this is what God is saying. He said that. Verbally inspired. Nobody listened to Jeremiah. They hated him, everybody, his own country, everybody. He was just a beat-up, whipped old man. In fact, he one time said, I ain't preaching this no more. I'm done. Remember I told you about that, Jeremiah 20? I said, I'm not going to say this anymore. But Jeremiah was called. He said, your fire was shut up in my bones. The ministry for me is not something I'm trying to see if it works. I like to take a shot at it. See if I can do this. That's not the ministry. When God calls you into it, while there are struggles in it, you'll stay with it, even though people sometimes don't care what you say or have much regard for what you say. In Jeremiah's day, that was true. I'm sure that's true with a lot of preachers today. Young man down the street from me, still in seminary. I don't know how he's doing in his little church, but uh, I cannot imagine preaching to 15 or 20 old people every week that have already gone past their their best years. It doesn't mean they can't be this or that, but I had a shot a time or two at going to a senior citizen's home. My mother used to go there. She'd ask me to come and preach to those people. I said, okay. I'd go in there and I'd be maybe five minutes, maybe five minutes. And they kind of sit there and what did he say? I'm thinking, what time are we going to eat? And I'm up here trying to make a point. Did you see what I, did you see that yesterday, what I saw on the TV? I think, we well, you know, now's a good time to close. Huh? <laughs> I'm not saying that's typical of all senior citizens. Obviously not. It was where I was. And I was in there robust and, and, you know, charging forward in my younger days. And, huh? I don't know if it's going to work or not. But can you imagine a young preacher, that's all he's got? Spending his time preparing his message like his school's teaching him to. Put some meat in there and put something in there to challenge these people. And nobody gives a hang about what you're saying. I think they say the lim the max amount of time most young ministers or most ministers stay in the, the ministry is about three to five years, and they get out and get to do something else. It's just a struggle, man. People don't want to hear it. See, you're a blessing. Amen. I just continue to be one. That'd be nice. Just be one, say. Amen. But I'll go to my next, my next point because... Uh, you can't draw back, folks. If the temper comes, hang on the word. Don't give up. Don't give in because you draw back to death and perdition. Don't do that. Fourthly, all right, you've heard the word. You've made up your mind that you're going to be a doer and not a hearer. Now the devil comes. Oh, yeah? Hath God said you? Nah, 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 nah. And what's that pain? Whoa, I thought, oh, where's your healing message now? Whoa. 
You owe them how much? They want, they're going to confiscate what, what, uh, what, and all these things pop up. And the devil says, you know, you were doing pretty good before you started going to that church. You know what you got to do now? First Timothy six twelve. You could not be a missionary anywhere in this world without this verse working for you. Nobody could. Because if a man is packing the word of God to, to some people that have never heard much of it, and he's prayed or he got to, for fire, give me some fire, Lord. Make these people to hear this word like it's absolutely vital right now to get it. Make them hear it that way. So he preaches like he's believing that. The devil's going to come. He's going to come and threaten you. But the Bible says we are to fight what? The good fight of the thing that makes us overcomers. Faith. Fight. How do you fight? You stand with God against the forces of darkness. That's all you do. That's all you can do. You stand with God. You make his word your word. You hide his word in your heart. You speak his word. With your mouth. It has the same effect as if God spoke it, if you believe it. When words of God are spoken because you believe them, it has the same effect as if God spoke it. What's the devil going to do with that? Believe it. Fight. Wind up on him. Say what you got to say. Do what you got to do. Go back to the book of Jude. Jude's right after Ezekiel. No, it's not. Zeke, I just talked about lying last week. Go back to uh, Jews right before Revelation. Next to the last book in the Bible. I think it's verse 3. It says, we are to earnestly what? Why? Y'all listen to me when I say this. Somebody and something is trying to talk you out of not only the faith, but of using the faith. You're not ready for it. It's too hard. You tried that once. It didn't work. So-and-so tried it, and look what happened to them. And, you know, you, what would happen to you and your name and your job? Uh, you, all these fear things. That's what you're fighting. That's what you're fighting against. That's what you've got to overcome. Yes, the battle is real. It is absolutely real. I fight battles every now and then, just recently fought one, and labored in making my case before the Lord. And there was absolutely no improvement. No improvement. And I remember a time or two, I just stopped and said, now I want to say this to you, Lord. i got to get somewhere nobody can hear me. I go out in a, a little room outside the house there and lock the door so nobody come in and wonder what's going on. But you know, I said, no, wait a minute, I want to, I want to make my case. You told me to put you in remembrance, to declare that I might be justified or made right, that I'm right in what I'm saying. You told me that. You said your word would not return empty or void. That means you sent it with the ability to do something. Now, I'm receiving it. And I declare that the devil has no right to put on me what Jesus bore away for me. By his stripes, I'm healed. I don't care if I don't feel healed or sound healed or think healed or, or you know, you got that all con confident. I am. You say, well, why would you holler? Because I want to. <laughs> Only the squirrels and the raccoons out there can hear me. You state your case. You fight your fight. I declare that in the name of Jesus. And it's make your case. Well, I don't know what to say. Well, then, oh, don't, don't say that. We'll be here for three days. You've got to hide something in your heart that becomes a weapon in your life. And you quote it back to God. Because it does not return empty. If God said it does something, then it does something. And Ephesians 6 says, take the shield of what? What does the shield of faith do? What did God design the shield of faith to do. All right, turn to Ephesians 6 then. If you're not going to shout and carry on, let me know. Let's just go back and look at it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Boy, this is wonderful stuff here. 
The book of Ephesians is, is absolutely a marvelous book. I guess I've quoted more out of chapters 1, well, 2, 4, maybe 6, and maybe any, any other book in the church. Look at verse 13 following. He said in verse 2 that we are fighting, in verse 11, against the wiles of the devil, the methods and the schemes and the tactics of the devil. That's, what, that's who we're fighting. So he said in verse 13, so take unto you. Wherefore, take unto you. Let me ask you all a question. Because you're going to hear this when you go home. You're going to hear it now and you're not going to forget this. When he says, take unto you, you have it. You're not going somewhere to try to get it. You've already got it. Are you with me? If he was trying to imply you may not have this, he said, you need to find out where a shield of faith is. But he doesn't. He says, wherefore, take unto you. It is yours. You are equipped. It belongs to you. It's part of what God gave you that he knows you need. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having worn the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all. Verse 16, and above all, are we, are we there? And above all, take the shield of faith wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, does that mean that you can? This is where we started this message tonight. He didn't, you're not left out. You're leaving yourself out. But God has shown you're not left out of the possibility, the latent, the potential lodged within your heart as a believer, you are designed to overcome, even though you have to fight. But God is the one who is behind you, endorsing you, and he said, take your shield of faith. Do I have one? Did I say you had one? In fact, I said, above all, take the shield of faith where which you may be able to quench, put out, eliminate all the fiery darts of Satan. Those are his attacks. Every one of them, no exception, is subject to the power of your faith. Every one of them. You can quench them all. Now, whether you do or not, it goes back to where you are with your thinking and your desires and your motivation. Maybe you're content. Some people probably are. I hope you're not, but a lot of people are just content with going to church. It's a decent thing to do. It's no good at all if it doesn't work for you some way and all these things coming to pass. Finally, closing. The overcomer, when he is done. I don't want to read all of Psalm 43. It's so long. There's five verses there. But it culminates with praise and worship. There's a verse in the New Testament. In chapter 4 of Philippians and verse 6. Any of you know what that is? Philippians 4 and verse 6. You preachers know what that is? What's it say, Thomas? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. With what? Thanksgiving? Why would you start with Thanksgiving? Notice, listen, this is the point. I'm trying to make them a close. We're done. When you petition God, start with Thanksgiving. Why would you start that way? Because you're believing he's going to do it. In anticipation of him doing what you're about to ask, I want to thank you, Lord, for the results I'm about to get, for I am asking and receiving. Not just asking, but receiving for what things have you desire when you pray, believe what? That you have received them. So I am not only broadcasting, but I'm receiving. And I'm doing it with thanksgiving. Why am I doing that? The same reason Jehoshaphat did. You ever heard of him? Jumping Jehoshaphat? He watched. He and his people watched three combined armies. 
destroy themselves. Never fired a shot, didn't have a gun. Wasn't one around. Didn't draw his knife, sword, didn't need his shields. He and his children, everybody came out and watched while an enemy destroyed itself. And the night before that battle, before they ever saw the face of the enemy, they worshipped and praised God because they heard a prophecy that said they were going to win. They believed his word. They sang his praise. That's what we do. That's why we worship good and worship loud, don't we? Listen, you can call it wherever you want to. Good, healthy worship is a sign of believing. You're glad about something. Something's real. Something in my heart like a stream running free makes me feel so happy, as happy as can be. No, it's better than that, isn't it? So are you overcomers or not? This is the victory that overcomes in your life and in your world even your faith. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, thanks for all that you've done. Thanks for all that you give. Thanks for all that you're promising to us. Thanks for the opportunity, for the privilege of being here and hearing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for health and safety and bills met and things coming to pass and promises being received. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for 8,000 promises that you want us to have. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise for all of this. I ask you now tonight before we go to bless these, your people, to bless them, even as we spoke of it last week, to let them know they were made to be blessed and to be a blessing. Ask you to bless their homes, their children, the work of their hands, and the fulfillment of their prayers for healing, health, restoration, blessing, whatever it is, salvation, that nobody here will leave this world disappointed. I thank you that you're able to do that, and we've asked nothing out of bounds. We give you thanks for it tonight in Jesus' name. All the believers said, Amen.